Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to stop and go back to episode one. It gives more details about the night a five-year-old girl from Northeast Florida vanished. Last time on Into Thin Air. I just woke up and our back door was going open and we can't find our daughter. You can't find what? Our daughter. I just got home from work. My five-year-old daughter is gone. I okay. need somebody to be here now. I'm Tom Wills. An all-out search continues right now for this missing five-year-old Putnam County girl. Investigators say... Haley Cummings of Satsuma was last seen when her father's girlfriend put her to bed at about 10 o'clock last night. Haley Cummings disappeared sometime during the early morning hours of February 10, 2009. Her father's girlfriend, Misty Croslin, was babysitting the kindergartner and her three-year-old brother, while 25-year-old Ronald Cummings was working a midnight shift at a nearby construction site. Misty was 17 years old at the time. She called police when she says she woke up at about 3 o'clock in the morning to find the little girl missing from bed. Okay, what was she last seen wearing? Ma'am? She was in her pajamas. We were sleeping. Okay, all right. You said your back door was wide open? Yes, it was The rest of her call is hard to hear, but she tells the dispatcher the back door to the family's mobile home is propped open with a brick. It was closed when she went to bed and is always locked. She made the discovery moments before Ronald Cummings walked in from work. If I find whoever has my daughter before y'all do, I'm killing them. I don't care. Uh, okay, I'm going to rest okay. my life in prison. It's okay, sir. We got him on the way. Something about what he sees, or what his girlfriend is telling him, convinces Ronald that his daughter has been kidnapped and has not just wandered away from home. Using clothes worn by the five-year-old, bloodhounds did pick up her scent and quickly led investigators down a dirt path that ends at the St. John's River, about 500 yards from her home. But they didn't find her. Deputies search every car leaving the neighborhood. Nothing. A helicopter circles the retirement community near where the kindergartner was last seen. No sign of her there or in the woods across from the dirt road where she lives. By the second day of searching the small rural town of Satsuma, investigators admit they are no closer to finding Haley. Through the uh, in-depth coverage uh, physically of the ground and the air and the water, we just don't believe that the, uh, the, the, the child is, is here. As dozens of volunteers scour nearby woods and more than 100 law enforcement extend their search beyond Satsuma, it becomes obvious to investigators Haley did not leave by herself. Could have slipped into the mobile home in the middle of the night through a door the babysitter said was locked. 
Why didn't the 17-year-old or Haley's little brother hear anything when the five-year-old was plucked from the same bedroom where they were sleeping? And what was bothering investigators in the child's missing persons case that led them to this conclusion? It makes no sense. I'm Jennifer Waugh. This is episode two of a News for Jack's podcast, Into Thin Air, about the mysterious disappearance 10 years ago of five-year-old Haley Cummings from Putnam County, Florida. This song was played on the radio in Northeast Florida and eventually around the country as word spread about a missing kindergartner. It was written by St. Augustine musician Eli Grimes, who composed it after seeing Haley Cummings' picture posted at gas stations, businesses, and on billboards while driving to Palatka a few days after she was reported missing. If you know anything Please make the phones ring Makes no difference how small If you know something, please, please call Haley's parents were begging for their daughter's life. Somebody has her they have her head. I just want my daughter back, that's it. Ronald Cummings is on his knees with his daughter's kindergarten picture in his lap. Tears are dripping off his nose. I just want my baby home. This is dead. Whoever's got her, I just want them to bring, them, bring her back. It's only beginning, baby. We'll find her. All the world's a suspect. We are going to treat everybody, every family member, every associate, every neighbor like a suspect until we can eliminate them. Several law enforcement agencies are now tracking down every possible suspect, working under the assumption a missing child, a back door propped open, and the little girl's blanket discovered on the back porch are all signs pointing to a kidnapping. The Putnam County Sheriff's Office, the jurisdiction where Haley lives, takes the lead on the case. The FBI, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and investigators with the state attorney's office are also assigned. My name is Robert Mathis. At the point in time that this happened, I had just become working for the state attorney's office for the Seventh Circuit as the head of the homicide investigation unit. Robert Mathis started his decades-long career as a prosecutor, then became a judge. When he retired from the bench, he returned to the state attorney's office, where just two weeks on the job, Haley's case landed on his desk. He and his team were called not because anyone had thought she had been killed, but because they had dozens of years of experience prosecuting missing persons cases. Standard procedure is looking closely at everyone who knows the little girl and lives nearby. 
Investigators quickly discover something very interesting about her neighborhood. If you look at the map of Putnam County at that time, and the, the number of registered sex offenders within a one mile radius, taking into account that on the other side of the river, there's nothing. So you're basically got a half a mile. There were a tremendous number of them. 44 registered sex offenders live near Haley. Could one of them have seen the little girl at the bus stop and followed her home? John Merchant was also assigned to the case. He was the lead detective for the Putnam County Sheriff's Office in 2009. Part of his job was to interview some of those sex offenders. He soon discovered one of them had left the area. I remember us tracking down a, a sex offender to Nebraska, and we went to Nebraska and interviewed him in the middle of the night. Was it just coincidence that the man had traveled all the way from Northeast Florida to Nebraska the same time a little girl had disappeared? Or was he somehow involved in what happened to Haley? Did that turn into anything? Nothing, nothing. Verified his location, you know, several days prior. Basically, he was, uh, he'd left traveling. He had nothing to do with the case whatsoever. It was a dead end. As each of the 44 sex offenders was interviewed, it appeared all of them could account for their whereabouts when Haley disappeared. Looking at some of those sex offenders, you know, their history spoke for itself but it doesn't mean they did something that day. And, and I do feel comfortable that we were able to track down each and every one of them um, and verify their location and, and go to their homes. And eliminate them as possible suspects? You know, I, I, nobody was eliminated. To this day, I, I, I'm not gonna say anybody was ever eliminated. I can tell you that we, we felt okay with moving on. As investigators interview other neighbors and family members, the Satsuma community wonders if another child could be next. The biggest overwhelming feeling was that this small community was unsafe. It went from safe to unsafe in a matter of an overnight. Sandy Alford was working as an elementary school teacher at that time 10 years ago. It was very disarming, made us feel very uh, uneasy, not certain, and just a lot of questions. We were all worried about our children. You know, we just wanted to make sure that that little girl was safe and find out what happened. Nancy LaJoy lives in Pomona Park, about seven miles from Haley's home. We're standing outside the town's government office. It's a small one-story cinder block building along Highway 17, the main road that links Pomona Park to Satsuma and the other rural towns in the county. Most only have one, maybe two stoplights. Here, just a small town. We have 860 people. We probably had that many people on a daily basis for a long time investigating. That's Joe Smegala, the mayor of Pomona Park. Neighbor Joanne Owens had just moved to Putnam County. Did you ever think that something like this could happen in a small community no. where everyone knows everyone? No, because this little girl has so much family. She's related to like everybody around here, it seems like. No, I, everybody was shocked. My adult kids in Michigan heard about it. You know, uh, and they couldn't believe that it was so close to, you know, where we live and work, you know. 
It's been one week since Ronald Cummings saw Haley's big smile when he picked her up from the bus stop and she kissed him goodbye before he left for work. The emotions today for the family of little Haley Cummings were as heart-wrenching as ever. Haley, if you're out there, mommy loves you and your daddy loves you. We miss you. And we'll be right here fighting out you. With no sign of Haley and no idea who took her, her grandmother, Teresa Neves, Ronald's mother, has her own theory about what happened to the five-year-old. Was there anyone else that you thought could have possibly had something to do with her disappearance? Absolutely, there was a man, and the man threatened me, you know, and I told them that. 10 years later, she can't remember the man's name. She says he lived near her son. Investigators did talk with him, but... He had an alibi, that's what I was told. He was never a suspect and never charged. By now, investigators have learned something interesting about Misty Crosland's cousin. Remember, she was the last person to see the little girl. Joe Overstreet was the cousin. Retired detective John Merchant said Joe Overstreet was visiting Misty and her family that same month February 2009. In fact, you could see the Crosland's home from Haley's. That's how close they were. But I can tell you, he left the state of Florida the same day she went missing. Did you find it suspicious that he left the, the hours after she disappeared? Sure I did. He departed to Tennessee that day with a, with a friend of his. Could the babysitter's cousin have taken Haley with him? Investigators thought they might have their first real break. Robert Hardwick was the assistant chief of investigators with the state attorney's office assigned to Haley's disappearance in 2009. He flew to Tennessee, where Joe Overstreet had driven from Satsuma. But we spent a lot of time up there. The investigative team did uh, in rotations, uh, some were up there longer than others. Um, but a lot of surveillance on, on Joey, just to maybe hope that he would do something out of the ordinary. We were trying to cover every avenue approach we could. And did that work? We had nothing came to fruition up in, up in Tennessee, nothing. Nothing, still no sign of Haley. Joe Overstreet denies any involvement in her disappearance and was never charged. Something else though is nagging investigators about the back door to the mobile home that Misty Crosland, the babysitter, said was propped open when she discovered Haley was gone. One thing is for sure is that the door wasn't kicked open, forced open, pried open, it very, very open. How did the kidnapper get inside since there were no signs of forced entry or any kind of struggle in the mobile home? Especially since Misty had told the 911 dispatcher the back door was always locked. Let's listen to Misty's full explanation about what happened that night as she explained it to News for Jacks two days after she reported the five-year-old missing. The details are important, especially the first thing she says. I got up because I had to use the bathroom, but I didn't make it to the bathroom. I seen the kitchen light on, and I walked in the kitchen, and the back door is wide open. I mean, I didn't notice about Haley then until I seen the back door open, and then I go in the room, and she's gone. And that's all I know. Is when I woke up, when I, when I went to sleep, she was there, and then when I woke up, she was gone. If you look at the police report written by the deputy who interviewed Misty in the early morning hours of February 10th, 2009, it reads, Misty told him she woke up to get a drink. 
There is no mention of waking up to use the bathroom, as she told us. We only picked up on this difference because Detective Merchant said the teenager's story about that night kept changing. There was something else additional going on in the house. There was something additional on the location of where they were. Um, there was something addition to the time frame. Something always changed with Misty, always. For example, Misty first told deputies that Haley and her little brother were sleeping in bed with her, that she put them to sleep at around 8 o'clock the night of February 9th and then laid down with them at about 10.30 and woke up at 3 a.m. to find Haley gone. But Merchant said Misty later said Haley wasn't in the same bed with her but was actually sleeping in her own bed. Haley's great-grandmother, Annette Sykes, allowed News for Jax into the mobile home about a month after the disappearance. Her description should help you visualize where everyone typically slept. Listening to Sykes might make you wonder why anyone would confuse where Haley was sleeping that night. There's where she slept, watching TV. Misty slept there. Junior slept against the wall over there. Annette Sykes points to two separate mattresses on the floor of the master bedroom of the home. There's a toddler-sized mattress where she says her great-granddaughter slept. It's covered with a white sheet with blue polka dots and yellow flowers and is pushed up against the left wall. There is a TV at the foot of it so Haley could watch from bed. My favorite movie is still in the DVD player. About three steps away against the opposite wall is a bigger mattress where she says Haley's dad, Misty, and little brother Junior slept. It looks like a double or queen size, covered with a maroon sheet with two dark green pillows that match the bedroom carpet. Sykes says Haley always slept in her own bed, across from her dad and the others. Were the inconsistencies in Misty's account of what happened that night a sign that she was not telling the truth? Or was the 17-year-old so traumatized by what had happened that she just didn't remember every single detail? Regardless of which bed Haley was sleeping in, something else was bothering not just investigator Robert Mathis, but also Haley's own mother and detective merchant. This child is five years old. She's verbal. She's active. Someone's not going to come in there in the middle of the night and grab the child and nobody wake up. If somebody went in there and just grabbed her, they'd have to know her. Because Haley's not going to just wander off or let some stranger pick her up without making a noise. It all sounds fishy to me, but I don't want to make any accusations. I don't want to talk about them. I just want my baby home. I would think that to prop a back door open, um, with a concrete block and, and you know it's, it, it was a metal outswing door as I recall. Something had to make some noise. If, if that were the case and she was truly abducted by a stranger like was originally reported to us by Misty, somebody somehow would have made some noise. Yet three-year-old Ronald Jr. didn't wake up and Misty said she woke up that night on her own not because of any sound. 
the last person to see Haley Cummings was suddenly becoming a person of interest in the girl's disappearance. And she seemed to know it when we interviewed her two days after she reported Haley missing. I know you've been intensively questioned by police. What has that been like for you? I mean, it's been hard, but I'm trying to do everything to find her, you know, answer any questions I have to, because I know I didn't do anything with, to that little girl. I would never hurt her. I mean, they love me. They look, I mean, they look at me like their mom. Did you take a polygraph? Um, I did, but I'm not supposed to talk about that. They told me not to talk about that. But you did good. Yes, yes I did, did take a polygraph. And you passed it? I mean, my understanding is that I passed it, you know. I just want everybody to know that I didn't do anything with that little girl. I love her like she's my own, and I'll do anything to get her back. And if people think that I had something to do with it, if I had something to do with it, I knew where she was. We wouldn't be sitting here today. We would have her, and I don't, I don't know where she is. Misty is sitting on a couch in her parents' home during this interview. The 17-year-old looks younger than her age. She's petite with light hazel-colored eyes. Tears are streaming down her cheeks. Her hair is pulled back behind her ears. She continues to insist to police and to her boyfriend that Haley was kidnapped. I don't have any suspicions of anybody. Anybody could have done anything. I don't know what's what. Obviously, if I knew what was going on, I would, I'd have my daughter. Ronald Cummings doesn't appear to waver in support of the 17-year-old when we interviewed him nine days after his daughter vanished. His mother, who spent time with Misty, said there were no signs that would point to anything but a loving girlfriend. Teresa Neves remembers one visit in particular. I watched her. <laughs> I just had a neck surgery. And I laid up in the bed. <laughs> they came to see me. And they were all four in the floor playing. And Misty was playing with her, and Ronald was playing with Junior. And I just thought, God, I'm so glad. They're so happy they finally have the little family that he's always wanted. This is just so hard to imagine that all of that was so wrong. You know. As Haley's grandmother and father refused to believe that anyone close to them could have taken the little girl, volunteers with EcuSearch tell Ronald and the rest of the family there is nowhere else to look. He's heartbroken because we have to pull out. And, he, uh, and, and it's heartbreaking for us, but you know what? We know what we've done, and, and you know, we've talked with law enforcement and felt as though at this time it was best for us to you know, kind of scale back, let them do their investigation. I just want to thank everyone, everyone that's been involved in searching for my little girl. And for the perpetrator or perpetrators, please bring her home. Please bring her home safe. And if she's watching, baby, I love you. I'll never give up on you. Haley Cummings' cousin, JJ, has not given up either. He was just eight years old when she vanished February 10th, 2009. I expect couldn't that, that getting up, she'd never be here again. 
always thought she'd just be here the next day when I woke up. She didn't hurt no one. She was amazing. She loved everyone. And to the person who knows where Haley is. Please bring my cousin home. That's all I want. I'll be 19 in July. And I just want her to be home for my birthday. And that's my only wish. Haley's grandmother has never stopped praying. Because God told me she's going to come home. And you'd think I'm crazy, but I believe that. This is going to be okay. She's going to come home. She's not here yet, but she, she will be. Coming up in the next episode of Into Thin Air, investigators begin receiving conflicting information about where Haley was hours before she vanished. By this time, you know, there's so many theories out there, so many people that are involved, so many, so many allegations of, of, of this other party that she wasn't even home that night. That's when, that's when the investigation went in so many different directions. Did the five-year-old leave the house that night with her brother and Misty after her father left for work? Could something have happened miles away from her home that led to her death? Where, you know, somebody had said that she left this party in the trunk of a car and was put into this pond. Why no one has ever been arrested, even though the lead detective says he believes one person has the answer to the mystery of what happened to Haley Cummings. We felt like, uh, I mean, all, everything pointed at Misty. She was the last one to see her. She was responsible for her care, custody, and control that night. Um, I don't feel Haley was abducted. I think Misty knows what happened. And a surprising twist involving Misty Croslin and Haley's father. She hasn't smiled much since Haley's been gone, but today Misty Croslin was beaming as she went to the courthouse to get a marriage license with Haley's dad, Ronald Cummings. She smiled as she showed us her engagement ring and told us about the surprise proposal. Last night at Chili's. What did he do? He got down on his knees and said, will you marry me? Ronald Cummings gets engaged to the teenager investigators are questioning about his daughter's disappearance. If you know anything about five-year-old Haley Cummings' disappearance from Satsuma, Florida, February 10, 2009, call Crime Stoppers at 888 888- 277 tips 888-277-8477. There is a $15,000 reward for any information that leads to an arrest. You can remain anonymous. This News for Jack's podcast was produced by Jennifer Waugh. Associate producers are Eric Wallace and Garrett Pelican. Videographer, Chris O'Rourke and Joe Drum. Editor is Mike Jones. You can watch the interviews and news stories about this missing person's case on newsforjax.com.